You're listening to Hungry for More, an Epicurean's Dilemma, and I'm your host, Trish Close. Natasha Feldman on the podcast today, although lots of people know her as Nosh with Tosh. She has many things, culinary school dropout, which she explains, private chef, cookbook author, she's hosted, co-produced, and directed a couple of cooking shows. But more than anything, I found her 100% delightful. We had such a pleasant conversation. She's a West Coast girl. She actually spent some time in Oregon, which we discuss. Uh, food was not necessarily important to her family growing up, unless it was a Jewish holiday. And then everybody, she says, pulled out all the stops. It wasn't until she was in London studying theater acting, of all things, that she discovered it was not meant for her. What am I doing here? is the thought that literally popped into her brain. Instead, she discovered the delicious world of food and cooking and really cooking for others. So back to the States, things really start to take off for her. She goes to culinary school, doesn't quite make it, she explains. Uh, she has a cooking show, Cinema and Spice, picked up by Yahoo. Another cooking show, Nosh with Tosh. It's on YouTube. Episodes are brilliant. Um, and she's in this world of food media for several years. Until she realizes, I should write a cookbook. The Dinner Party Project, No Stress Guide to Food with Friends. And we talk a lot about dinner parties and what makes them so special and why they're so important. She has lots of good advice, lots of good stories. In fact, the conversation really just bounces all over the place, which is what I love the most. So sit back, relax, and take in this conversation and enjoy it, hopefully, as much as I did. Here's Natasha Feldman. Grateful that you said yes, because I've been um, kind of creeping on all of your stuff. And then, <laughs> and then when you were like, yeah, I'll do the podcast, I'm like, wait, what? You will? <laughs> I mean, it's fun to meet. It's fun to meet people who it's, you never know what's going to be what and who's going to mean what and I what the agree. Heck's happening next. All right. It's, it's all fun. I'm going to dive on in Natasha Feldman, but you're known as Nosh with Tosh. You have a cooking show on YouTube. Uh, you're a culinary school dropout, which I want to talk to you about that. Private chef. You're a cookbook author, dinner party project. What did I forget? You've done a, like a thousand different things. Yeah. All kinds of like cooking show hosting and producing and writing and, uh, you know, lots of like recipe development, branded content. Um wrote a cookbook. I just like anything that's involved. I like to say it's like anything that is like food mm -hmm. in the intersection of like having people in your home or looking at it, like on TV or in a magazine is like what I do. But it's like everything but being in a restaurant. <laughs> well, and I also want to say I want to throw performance in there because we're going to get to that. And I love the fact because I, I say this all the time, finding things that you're good at and finding what you're passionate about and mushing them together some way, which is exactly what you did. Yeah. Trying <laughs> every day. <laughs> mm, no, you're doing it. I think you're absolutely doing it. Um, I want to start from the beginning for a hot second because well, where are you from originally? Um, well, when I was really teeny tiny, I was in San Diego and then uh, middle uh, third grade, my parents moved up to Oregon. We lived in a small town right outside of Lake Oswego. Wow. I'm sorry. Uh, we lived in a little town right outside Portland, Oregon called Lake, Lake Oswego. Oswego. I'm very familiar with Lake Oswego. Uh, you are? 
Yeah, I'm in Southern Oregon. I'm in Medford. Oh, gosh. So well, when I saw that you were from Oregon, I was like, wait a second, what? And <laughs> that's when I knew it was meant to be that you yeah. needed to be on this podcast. So yeah, I'm very I, familiar with Lake Oswego. I lived there from when I was like eight, maybe like six. I don't know. How old are you in third grade? Six, seven, eight? Uh, yeah, I would say eight. You're eight. eight. Uh, and then we left in between 10th and 11th grade. So mm. I did two years of high school elsewhere, which was a real, real shit show. Um, but I loved living in Oregon. Oregon's a pretty amazing state. I do love it. Um, so kind of the same. I grew up in South Carolina, did two years of high school in South Carolina, and then moved to Las Vegas to finish high school. Excuse you? How stupid. What Talk about shit show. It was a cluster. <laughs> What uh? What moved you to Las Vegas? My um, I decided for a career in dancing. No, uh, my parents <laughs> got transferred, work transfer to to Vegas, and so I mean I had to come along. I couldn't stay. Wait, I have to know what going to high school in Las Vegas is like. Well, from South Carolina again, shit show. I was this like just kind of country bumpkin like my friends from Vegas are all they always remember like you were so cute with your your accent and you were like I like to act and I like to read and I'm just like yeah whatever um but you know small town to Las Vegas and Las Vegas at the time was I think a million people were moving into Las Vegas a year it's when the big boom happened in Vegas yeah. um so I mean it wasn't like we never we rarely went to the strip as teenagers because there's only so much walking around Caesar's Palace you can do yeah. Um, but yeah, it was a good experience for me because it showed me there was other things outside of South Carolina. I'll, I'll say that. I'm reading uh, beach music right now. Oh, yeah. Okay. So does it take place in South Carolina or North Carolina? South Carolina. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. That's a, it's real. So all I think maybe all of his books take place in South Carolina or am I am, have I lost it? No, I think you're correct. I yeah. think I think you would be correct on that. There's a dance called the shag, and you, yeah, they talk about it in the book. You shag to beach music. Um, my dad was actually an incredible shag dancer. It sounds so weird to say that, kind of gross, but um, he was like an instructor. And so, yeah, when you're when you're living in South Carolina, like in middle school, everyone learns how to shag. Like you, can you show me what it is? What is it? It's um, it's very. It's kind of like a toned down version of the jitterbug, but it's eight steps. Okay. So I just remember counting like one and two, three and four, five, six. And then there's like a bazillion other dance moves and turns and flips and stuff you can do. It's I got to Google it. You do. Like I would I would Google someone who can actually do it well. Like the sh- my dad and I did a little shag dance at my wedding. That's real cute. Yeah. Okay, enough about me, Nosh with Tosh. The thing outside is loud. What is that? It's a leaf blower. They're blowing leaves. I can't even hear it. Great. No worries. (laughs) So you loved living in Oregon, but family moved back to LA, right? They actually moved back to San Diego. Okay. Um, My parents were really smart. They bought this tiny little house like sinking into the foundation in bird rock and they kept it while we lived in Oregon and they had you know like college students living in it like a constant rotation of college boys living in it 
And then when we moved back, uh, they lived in it for a while. And then when I left, they sort of like rebuilt it. And they're like, we're dying here. You know, like this is this is where this is our spot. Don't move us. But I'm sure I mean, I just don't even want to think about the property value there. It It's it's uh, it's higher than it was when they purchased it by a little bit. A, <laughs> yeah. a little bit. Just a little bit, yeah. Um, so they I read, are, I read your parents. Smarter than I am. <laughs> yeah, same here. Ditto. I read your parents were. You, you said your mom was a good cook, but food wasn't necessarily like important growing up, right? Mm-hmm. It was just sort of like it existed because you had to have it. Yeah, it, we were in, we were definitely an eat to live family. My mom and dad are both like you know, the first person in for their checkups, they're like, they love to talk about their cholesterol and, and, you know, like their, what their blood pressure, you know, when we were, when I was a kid, it was like fun when we would go to CVS and do the blood pressure cuff, you know? Um, So we were really like, dinner was like a starch, a vegetable, a salad, a protein. And I had like the exact same lunch and breakfast was really healthy. And it was really very much, um, eating as luxury or eating as an expression of uh, just like an opportunity to kind of like let loose in a way, mm-hmm. which sounds maybe not exactly what I mean it to, but was just not something that we did. And and it wasn't until I sort of left home really that I was like, oh, there's this like wide world of just like you eat dinner and it's just cheese because it tastes good. Yeah. And that really, that really, the floodgates were open. So, but did your mom kind of go all out for Jewish holidays? Was that a thing? Yeah, we, you know, uh, in my family and I'm in like most Jewish families, the, the constant year after year are having the exact same dishes at your Jewish holidays. And a lot of them come from my great grandmother, my great great grandmother. They're all from like Poland and Ukraine. And so those were the times of year where we really did like stick to the classics. And then we would come together with, I mean, my family is very small. There's uh, maybe like 12 of us in total okay. from both sides of the family. Mm-hmm. You know, it's what happens when people come during the drama, the great drama in, in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it, it's really, it's really lovely. Cause basically like our family recipes are the same, but they've been like tweaked a little bit from like my aunt and, you know, my grandma has some thoughts on like how her mom did them. So when we come together, uh, there are, there are like very little variances, but it's definitely like a major comfort. Oh, absolutely. What's the biggest for your family, the biggest, like Jewish holiday, like the the one that kind of like really has carries a big punch to it. Well, it's not the most important holiday by any means, but Hanukkah, I think mainly because it happens around Christmas mm-hmm. and you usually have that time off and like work starts dwindling for most people. That's really like when we all make sure that we get together and there's really nothing better than fried foods and brisket. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, man, sister. Um, I actually just watched your um uh, your brisket recipe. Oh, it's so good. I'm I'm excited to make it. My um my best friend's Jewish, and I have his mom's recipe. It's very different, not very different, but it's different from yours by just a couple things. The dried, is, fr- 
the dried fruit. She doesn't use dried fruit. Oh, game changer. You think that's the secret? One, yeah. I think because with brisket, it, it the cook is so long mm-hmm. and the meat isn't, per, you know, it's like the caps are fatty, but when you get inside of it, um, sometimes it's one of the, it's, it's a little bit easy to, to dry out if you don't cook it just right. right. And the extra sugars and moisture from the dried fruit, I think like the, the, the apricots add like a little bit of, um, a, a sourness, a bitterness, mm-hmm. like something that's a little bit tangy. And then the prunes are just like straight sugar, but rather than like a simple sugar, it adds like a much more complex flavor um that also thickens the sauce and like helps keep in the moisture in the meat it's just it really I just like can't eat brisket any other way now I think hers also has like a tomato paste maybe in it too but carrots the the mirepoix like the traditional sort of things but yeah the fruit I was like what's this prunes you say yeah, and, and some people do use the tomato as sort of like the acid, but I feel like if you use like a good punchy wine, mm. um, mm-hmm. you don't need the tomato paste. I like it very, I very, like it like a very clean flavor. I love it. Well, I've saved it. I'm going to make it. I'll share uh, it with you. I'll let everybody know. Yeah. Um, I can't wait. So you finished high school back in Southern California. Was acting always on your list of like, this is what I'm going to be when I grow up? You know, you know how like your life kind of happens and you're like, what does any, it all just seems like random stuff. And then you get to one point and you're like, oh, this whole thing is like one story, but I just didn't see it until it like Hmm. came to the other end. When I was, so I was a very small child. Um, I had, I was growth hormone deficient. So I was like physically very small. Like if you saw pictures of like me in school, it'd be like, Polly Pocket, normal human. Like the difference between me and my friends now is not that big because I'm like 5'2 and, you know, most people are like 5'6, five, 5'7. Five, it's not. But it was like legit. Yeah. Like, like I would like go to like my friend's butts. I was very, very teeny tiny. Um, Like legit people called me Polly Pocket. And I was like, oh, okay, whatever. Aww. But I, 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 I never really and, – and I'm dyslexic. So I – uh, I was like the last person to read, the last person to write. I don't really digest information linearly. I was teeny, teeny, tiny. And I just really, I had great friends that I, you know, absolutely love and still love. And they're still my closest people. Um, but for the most part, I really didn't feel like I fit in anywhere. Mm. And the way that I sort of found my my in to feeling like I had community was through theater. So at first it was just like summer camps, you know, and then you like, you make this really close knit group of friends and everyone's a total weirdo. And you're just like memorizing lines from Monty Python and talk it, you know, it's just like, it's just what you do. And uh, I really felt like I started to feel more confident in myself from doing theater and like being on stage, less being on stage and more the like the like the the very fast bond of being in a show together was like the main thing. 100%. Right. And then um, from that, then when 
we moved to San Diego, uh, I started doing like a lot of community theater, a lot of regional theater. Then I got in, in, into La Jolla Playhouse and I was on like their student board and I did their conservatory program and I taught the young performers workshop. And it was less about like the acting and way more about the tight-knit bond that you create. And I'm pretty sure that this is exactly what it's like to be on a sports team, you know? Mm -hmm. Like everyone's on like women's volleyball or whatever. But I'm like this freaking big. My hand-eye coordination is absolutely atrocious. I'm always the last person picked in PE. Like sports was not going to be it for me. So like I found that um, in theater. And because I found that in theater, I thought I wanted to be an actor. Uh, And then... When I got into college, I realized that, like, being an actor is not that. Being an actor is, like, a z- zillions of auditions, getting rejected, being on a thing, then not being on a thing, mm-hmm. then going back to audition. And I was like, oh, I just love the community element yeah. and the storytelling element. But, like, the career of being an actor is not something that I... Uh, don't think I can do. Yeah, no, I'm I'm right there with you. It's so funny because I I also did community theater, tons of theater growing up, and my first day of school in Las Vegas, the only kids that were super nice to me and just like took me in were the theater nerds because those those are my people, and they're yeah. just so there's there were instantly your best friends, mm-hmm. and so weird, just like the weirdest people. <laughs> I love them. But the best, but the absolute best. So, but I also read that you went to, was college, did college happen in London or did London happen after? No. So I I went to college in Los Angeles, but I applied for this program that I just never thought I would get into. They take like 30 kids from the US. It's like a, it's like an offshoot. A lot of the teachers from the Royal Academy teach at this thing called like the British American Drama Academy, mm-hmm. which is like a semester of semester or like a full year program for American students to like really deep dive into what it is to like learn acting in England and and like have more of that like classical um heady training yeah that's like much you know like learning commedia and like sort of like all of the fundamental pieces that are not a part of your um experience really like learning in in the states And it was just so obvious. Like the second that I got there, I was like, oh, I love theater because I love being with these people. These people love acting and loving acting and like wanting to build a character and like live in that character and pull all of the pieces out and create like this vast internal monologue was just like, I was like, oh, this is, this is not, I just, mm-hmm. I just am like goofing around, you know, like I'm not, I'm not a, I'm, this isn't serious this for is me. I don't, yeah. know, I don't know how I got here, but like for the first time I was like, oh, this like community building element that I'm used to is not the focus of like actual performance and like being at the top of this, this pyramid. So I was like, well, I have to find something else because I'm nobody wants to be my, you know, it's like back. It's like it, I was like back getting like picked for dodgeball. You know, I'm like, nobody mm-hmm. want no, no one's going to want to work with me. I'm the like the odd man out. So 
I started cooking for everyone. Interesting. And sort of how I, and then like, I would like make lunches for people and we would have dinners and I started to like really learn and that became sort of my glue to this group. And, and then I was like, oh, this is, this like gives me that element of like community and feeling like you can really bring people together over something. And uh, it is in the way that everybody was like really into diving deep. I was like, oh, like I want to dive deep into food. Like I'm so curious where these things come from, like who they came from, how they got here, all the different techniques, like how food brings us together in like a global sense. And so that was sort of the thing that helped me like transfer into into food and i also read there was a market like almost like it sounds like a farmer's market in london and i can kind of picture you you know are you walking through there going like are the light bulbs going off for you at that point are they just like oh my gosh this is it i was just like you walk have you been to borough market no it's I mean, everything in London is magic. I, I London's my favorite place on earth. I, I think it's like the most magical city in the world. And I feel like when you enter Borough Market, it's like Hogwarts. You know, it's like brownies that are this big, giant wheels of cheese, people passing fish back and forth, like beautiful stalls of pre-made food, like all of the international delicious aromas, just like the whole thing is and the produce is like absolutely stunning, even though you're in England and you think like this isn't a this isn't the food capital, you know, but but here we are. And I, and I was just like, I could stay in this market for 10 years, like just talking to people and still have more to learn. Like mm-hmm. I just I just it just like it was like a punch in the gut, you know. And um, and then I was like, oh, I want to learn how to do all of this stuff. Like, I just want to play with all of these things and stay here forever. And I would just go with my backpack and I would fill it with random whatevers and then go back and spend as little time as I could memorizing stuff so that I could just get through this school day and <laughs> get back and just start cooking. And, I love it. and that was sort of and then I came back after college. I went to culinary school and um, yeah, I've never wanted to do anything else. So I'm curious in London, when you're cooking all of these things, did you ever get on the phone with a family member and just were like, hey, how did you, what what comes next? What goes in this? Or did you just kind no, of figure it out? Not really, because I, I, you know, it's like I was cooking for students. Uh-huh. So I was just kind of like throwing things together with the stuff that I had. It wasn't so much like trying to recreate and I was making like hearty soups and stews and we were like making bread and it was really basic. Um, and, and then when I came back, that's when I started being like, I wa- I would like love my great grandma's recipes and like her mom's recipes and like, how did these recipes get here? And like, why, why are these the ones that we still use? And, and that was sort of uh, when I came back, I got to ask more of those questions. I love also, that. the time difference is atrocious, you know? It's eight hours? That... What? Yeah, it's like eight hours, right? Yeah, because well, it, it's like nine hours or 10 hours from the from California. Yeah, that's a little, that is atrocious. Um, my grandmother has this uh, 
cornbread dressing that we always have for Thanksgiving. And it's literally like five ingredients. It's so dumb. It's the dumbest recipe, but it's so stinking good. And when I started really getting a passion about cooking, I would call her all like every almost every Thanksgiving. What temperature for the oven? How long do you sweat the celery and the onions? And like just really now I look back on it so basic, but I love the fact that every almost every year for like three, five years, I connected with her over this cornbread dressing to the point where I was it was just um, ridiculous where I'm just like calling her every year. And then one year I just remember I'm like, maybe I should write it down. And then I was like, no, and I'll call grandma. Fun part. Yeah. Yeah. So what about now? Have you made any changes to it or it's still the same? I add a little bit of fresh thyme to it and then um, a little splash of heavy cream because her recipe was always the uh, all the drippings, the gravy, the everything from the pan. And I usually save that for like gravy gravy. So I kind of, you know, what would make the mouth feel of, of the dressing like the fattiness of it. So I've changed a few things. Um, it's pretty good. She would approve. She would definitely approve. I want to make this. It's really good. It's like so celery, onions, sautéed in butter, um, a cornbread recipe, not sweet, very okay. savory cornbread recipe. You crumble it all up, mix it with the onions and the celery, <clears throat> add broth stock to make it like almost ridiculously soupy. You put it in a dish and bake it. So it's sort of like a strata. Yeah, no eggs. But like it's like the it's like the the bready thing that then you re-put mm -hmm. back in the oven and it like constitutes. Yeah, it's moist, but then it comes out just like it's just perfect. It's savory and it is Thanksgiving. It is literally mm. it's November. It's my grandma's kitchen. It it just it just is it's magical. And it's okay, I'm gonna make that. So dumb. Yeah. It's good. It's, it's so dumb. It, it just, it's, <laughs> it's not that dumb. You got to make the cornbread. Yeah. It's really, really good. Um, I also read you were a, I almost said beauty school dropout. You were a culinary school dropout, but you said you were fumbling your way through culinary school. What does that look like, fumbling through? Well, like I said, school has never been my bag. I want to learn what I want to learn when <laughs> I want to get out <laughs> at my own pace. Uh, and and in culinary school, you know, I, I, I actually really I really did love it. And um, I felt like the education in culinary school is way more about learning how to do things quickly mm -hmm. than understanding, understanding like flavor and becoming a more um like sophisticated cook and and I I love like I I have found that to be so incredibly valuable but at the same time you still have to do all of the work to figure out like how do things come together and what do I like and what don't I like and how do I make this thing my you know that's all stuff that you don't you don't learn but I was uh actually the dropping out wasn't by choice um I I had I made some dumb decisions. Like one day I went to like this crazy day long bicycle thing downtown LA called Ciclavia where you just like drink beer and bicycle and it was like a hundred degrees. 
And the next day in school, I was like at a hot oven and I was like, oh, I'm going down. And I passed out, but then I kept passing out because I had no liquid. Uh, And they had to take me to the hospital, which was so embarrassing. And then a few weeks later, uh, somebody, I was taking, you know what a Duchess dough divider is? Mm -hmm. I was taking the, I was taking um, uh, dough that I had ounced into like, four ounce portions and I was removing it and somebody was just not paying attention and they came over and they re-put the handle down to apply the pressure while my finger was inside of it. Just one finger got stuck in between the like pan and the weight Ah. Uh, and it just completely crushed. So then I had to take a leave of absence because I had one finger that completely didn't function and at first they thought it was, it was like, it was a whole, a whole kerfuffle, but um, while I was just out, I, I, I talked myself into this job that I thought was really cool. Mm-hmm. And so then I just started there. And by the time I was healed, I was like, I'm honestly, I'm too embarrassed. <laughs> like, first I pass out, then I get my finger like decapitated. I'm like, I can't, I was almost done. But I was like, I'm just that was just I did that chapter. And I'm moving on. <laughs> but I mean, it sounds like it, it served you well because you had so many jobs, you know, doing cooking type things. Your a cooking show got picked up by Yahoo. Yeah. Uh, what? Uh, cinema, cinema and Spice. Mm-hmm. I was living with um, my closest friend, Juliana. And how we met is also related to food, but it's like, a you know, its own long ridiculous story. Um, And we were just, I was practicing what I was learning in school and she had just finished film school and we would do these like wild movie nights for our friends. And uh, her boyfriend, who's still one of our best friends, and her boyfriend at the time um, would film, he was like, why don't we film some of this stuff and just see what happens? We started filming it and uh, it was doing pretty well on YouTube. So then we just started bug it. We met the guy who ran uh, Yahoo screen at the time, Brian Hunt. And I just bugged him regularly long enough for him to finally watch it. And he was like, actually, like, this would be a really good show for us because we have so many brand sponsors in the food space and nothing that we can easily integrate these into. And and so they picked it up and it was really successful. And that was sort of like the beginning of of us being able to like pick up production jobs and and sort of like really learn mm-hmm. um, with money that wasn't ours that, that allowed us to do like much bigger and uh, more challenging projects. So we just, I mean, we got lucky and and it was like, it was such a good time. It was like graduate school almost. Yeah. Yeah, really. Um, was it just you on the show? No, it was the two of us. The two of you. Okay. Um, and then I also re- – was that the show that you were really – you guys were doing all the things, right? You were, I mean, producing it essentially. You were direct yeah. – you were own, your own director. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did, we, we did like post. Um, we like integrated everything for the brand sponsors. We produced, directed like over – you know, the, and then we were in it and it was just really fun. It was like an amazing, you know, full time plus job for yeah almost two years. It was like really it was really special. 
I think also, too, when you are doing all the things, I was in TV news forever, and um, I didn't have a field producer. I was my own field producer. I was my own all of these things, my own editor, my own camera person. I think it makes you a more well-rounded human when you have to do all of the things and you're not relying on anyone else to produce the show for you or what are we doing today? It's like, it's up to you. It's your call. Yeah, I think, you know, it's like when I – you can definitely tell the difference between somebody who, when they're talent, they are aware of everybody else's roles and like trying to make their roles easier uh-huh. um, versus someone who has only done that specific thing. And, you know, I, I honestly think that, you know, when I watch people that only host, I see things that I'm like, oh, I learn a lot because I'm like, I am focused on like these 10 things and they're just focused on this one. And I, and I always like learn, I'm like, oh, I want to integrate this. Or I really liked how this person did that. Like I do, I I think it's amazing. And um, they're so, so good at it. But, But I also can see, I'm like, why aren't you like, why aren't you doing these things that are going to make it easier for like the camera people to, why aren't you like tilting things towards them? Why is your hand like between you and the can, you know, there's just like so much where you're also like, Oh, that must be so annoying for the people that are making this. Yeah. Um, So I really, and I, I like love it as a, I I like love puzzles and games and escape rooms. So I really like uh, figuring out how to put the whole thing together. I can even see that in the few, um, the few episodes that I've watched with you, you, I can see you thinking about the editing. You're like, oh, we need to wait. How are we going to handle that? Like, I can see it. I mean, obviously you bring it up occasionally, just you put it out there, which I love. Like, it's not, (laughs) there's nothing magic, right? There's nothing happening here that's crazy and insane. We're literally cooking in front of a camera and I am human and I forgot to tell you to preheat the oven. I'm going to do it right now. Yeah. Well, one of the reasons I wanted to like make a web series um, was after producing for other people and hosting for other other people and brands for so long. I think as a consumer, you get used to this idea that people that do this on TV and for a living are like infallible and that you start with the raw thing and then you end up with the perfect cooked thing. And like, that's just because I'm better than you. When in reality, it's like, it's prepared, you know, in seven different iterations between being like the beginning and the end. And you have a whole team and they have swaps. And if it's not right, you do it, you know, and, and you do it seven times and there's so much waste. And it's it's an amazing process. And it's it's so cool to watch that magic. But I also think it's valuable to understand as a consumer of content that that is not the expectation that you should have of yourself at home. And I wanted to just have like, you know, if we were making uh, a roast chicken, there's just one chicken on set. It's beginning to end. Mm -hmm. It is what it is. If you mess it up, you figure out something else to do with it. Yeah. Um, And, and also like, as I was making it, I was like, do people actually want to see this? Like, is there a reason this isn't a thing? And, and then I, and I discovered that there were like enough people that were curious that it, it was like able to lead me to then doing it as a TV show. And that was sort of what I did a lot of the pandemic. Um, and 
And also then like, you know, Food Network started doing more live things and a bunch of other places sort of started wanting to show the more vulnerable side of cooking. So I definitely think it's like more in the zeitgeist now than it was then. And I'm I'm really happy. That's that. amazing. I think too, the last thing, and I think you get, you get off too on seeing other people who are afraid of the kitchen get in the kitchen because of something that you've made, right? Where they're That's watching, right. yeah, they're watching your recipe for, you know, whatever, fill in the blank. And they're like, I think I can do this because she just kind of screwed that up and I'm a total screw up in the kitchen, right? I can do it too. And I think it does a huge disservice if we pretend that it's easy peasy and, you know, um, we we kind of create that magic around it. Because when you really get down to it, it's not that magical. It's just cooking food. And it's, it can be like so fun and easy, but it can also, like so frustrating and stupid Mm -hmm. and busted and I kind of wanted to show um that whole range of all the stuff that happens I love it and I think it's incredibly important like just we we just need to stop making such a big deal about it because people people are literally legitimately afraid to get into the kitchen and cook yeah and, and I think, sad. you know, it's it's like I call it mid mid 90s Martha syndrome, where it's like you just see, you know, this like perfect unattainable yeah. standard of beauty. And you're like, well, if I can't do that, then like I might as well just not have people over. And I have people all the time who are like, I bought the book. I had never had a dinner party and now I'm doing them. And I feel like the most important thing is to think of dinner party or like having people over as radical act of community building rather than opportunity to show off your cooking skills. Yeah. Nobody cares about this part. Agreed. And in fact, I love that you, well, let's, I want to back up a little bit because you're doing all this stuff, you're cooking, you have a show. Are you just at this point kind of in your life? Like this is it. I found I have found my world. I have found this is what I should be doing. Pat on the back. <laughs> that's a real question. <laughs> for, those of, for those who are listening and not watching, go back and watch because that face was priceless. I don't know, dude. You know, I, I, I think when you have a job where there's no corporate structure, there's no ladder, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, what is made it? Like, is made it when enough people recognize that you do a thing that you can continue doing the thing? Is it when you have enough people recognizing you doing the thing that you can do the thing and each time the thing pays you more? Mm-hmm. Is it like when you're a household name? Is it when you have a product line? Is it- Yeah, what's your what, level of success? Yeah. And I, and, um, you know, I feel like when I see people in this space and they have this like air of like, I made it, like, I know what I'm talking about. I am in this, this group of people. I'm like, will I ever feel that way? Hmm. You know, I don't know. I, I love what I do. I wonder if I'm going to be able to do it forever. If like one day everything is just going to like disappear and I'm going to have to figure something else out. You know, it's like, I, I, and it's like, it's, it's, it's like even scary to talk about. Um, and people don't want to hear it. You know, they just want you to hear that, like you made it and, and, and like, it's 
it yay, but I um I'm like I'm working on a reality show that I'm super excited about that's looking like it might be a thing. I'm working on a second um a second book proposal that I'm really excited about that I would actually like sort of be ghostwriting for somebody who has like a very specific expertise um if it gets if it gets purchased. So and I have like a lot of really fun um big social projects coming up, but I also feel like, you know, mm-hmm. I, 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 I feel like I'm so lucky to get paid to do what I do. And, um, there are so many people that do this and are like really good at it. And, um, that I'm just like grateful that I've been able to make it a living so far. And I just like keep working hard and hoping that it doesn't stop. Yeah. I think it's about evolving too, right? Like not getting complacent and evolving in, in this world where, and I think, and I think the the question really was like, do you feel like this is your place? Yes. And I would be very, 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 very sad to like get to a point where I was like, I have to do something else. Mm -hmm. Like, this is what I want to do. Like, I want to write cookbooks. I want to help people feel comfortable. I want to like one day open a cooking school. I want to like, uh, help troubled kids, like find cooking earlier than, you know, like a lot of people in the kitchen, um, have had like run-ins with the law come from, Uh, Like when I was in culinary school, I actually was really lucky. I had a group of women that were in the school with me who all come from a battered women's shelter. And it was a really great way for for um, these these particular women to feel like they could all come up together and find a skill that would allow them um, to be in a community where they felt safe and they could sort of like rebuild their confidence together and I think like that is one of the most beautiful things about cooking and like I would love to get to a point where all of this stuff makes a a surplus of money so that I can spend a lot of it giving back to that community Mm -hmm. um like you know I could I could iterate on this and like make stuff forever I just I like I just hope that that is what I get to do I love that well and again it's about evolving and never always growing and always looking outside of what you're doing right here. And if you get to this point, you can do this. And if you get to this point, you can do this, this, and this. Um, Let's talk about the first cookbook, uh, The Dinner Party Project, No Stress Guide to Food with Friends, which I love this. I love a dinner party, but I mainly love throwing dinner parties because I have control issues. So (laughs) (laughs) what what do you mean when you say that? Uh, um, I'm just... You know, like, you know, do you have those friends? Maybe you're this way when you invite friends over and they're like, can I help? And you're like, um, yeah, you want to chop that or you want to whatever. I'm like, no, 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 no. I got it. Just sit. Have a cocktail. I'm good. Are you happy that they're there or are you like, shit, they should have come 30 minutes later? Um, I do love a late guest. I will say that um, because I'm always late. But I just love... Control, yes, but I also just, I love doing all the things for all the people. I love putting the food in front of them. I love taking their plate away. I'm just, I'm the hostess with the mostest. I've I've been that way my entire life. I just love doing all the things. I don't want you to clean. I want you just to come and let me cook for you. Like you bring the wine maybe. If you're my cheese friend, you bring the cheese from the cheese shop. 
if you're my bread friend, you bring the bread. But other than <laughs> that, like, let me do all the things. I just, mm-hmm. I get so much pleasure from that. So I love a dinner party. And I think that as long as you express that to your guests and you're like, I'm not telling you that I don't want you to do this thing because I don't trust you. I'm telling you that like, this is my gift to my friends and my gift to myself. Like, I just want you to have a really good time. That makes me happy. Mm -hmm. I feel like then that lets people feel like, oh, well, I have a job. My job is just to hang out and like have a good time. Um, That's wonderful. I, I feel like I have gone through like so many iterations of how I like to host that at this point, I, I feel like I'm like a general practitioner of dinner parties. Like if somebody wants to help, you know, I'm like, great, let me switch that gear. If the person's like, I don't want to do anything. I'm like, great, let me get you a cocktail. You know, it's sort of like you just kind of, um, you know, you perform to your audience, whoever's walking in the door, that's sort of what, but if there are things that I feel I want control over, like um, there are some things that I feel like a lot of people are just subpar at. One of those things is chopping, you know, like if you just invite like Tom, Dick and Harry over for dinner and you're like, can you chop that? I'm going to want to re-chop it because I'm like, nobody wants like, this piece of garlic in their dressing, Mm -hmm. you know, those kinds of things. Like if there's anything where I know I'm going to be like a little anal retentive about, I do them before people come. Oh, okay. All right. Because then then there's no element that I'm like, I don't want you to jump in. If you want to jump in, everything that I'm doing is sort of like up for grabs. Oh, there's chopped garlic in the fridge. Love it. I love that. I will say this. I have, I've, I've had a few friends who are like, hey, can you teach me a few things? And I'm like, Absolutely. My control issues go out the window and I'm just like, okay, I can do this. And if they don't do it quite how I would do it, it doesn't matter at that point. So I can break down those those barriers. But I think, you know, if if I'm really hosting, if I'm hosting, hosting you, then I just I feel like I want to be in control. Um, That also feels like it feels like Southern hospitality. uh, so true. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And I will tell you this, if you, I grew up, if I went over to someone else's house, my mom was always like, you offer to help. If they say no, that's fine. But if you offer to help clean up that table, like, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. So always, what can I do to help you? And then I really lean into if, if the host is like nothing, I got it. I'm going to go, okay. Cause I get it. And then, but then it's like, I say, okay, but then my brain is still like, are there enough forks on the table? Does anybody need a glass of wine? Like I still, it's, it's hard for me to like, it's hard for me to turn it off. Oh, for sure. Because that's, this is what you've been doing for years and years and years. You've been hosting, whether it's been on a camera or in front of people. And sometimes I'll do things that like people will never know. Like I'll go into their bathroom and like I'll notice the towel. Like you arrive and like the towel everyone's supposed to wash their hands on is like already dirty and wet, you know. And I'll just like take it off, find another towel. There's not another enough toilet paper. I'll swap that toilet paper roll. It's like behind the scenes, you know, she's doing weird stuff in your house. <laughs> but I I love that, and I think I mean that is really. A lot of people don't think about when you have a dinner party, it's all those little things, right? The candle in the bathroom right. is like, whew, 
I love that. I always like people's bathroom candles. I'm like, you you wish you had lit this, so I'm just going to do it. And then- do it for you. Yeah. So where'd this idea come from to to write this cookbook, Dinner Party Project? Um, in the space that's that's Tosh in, in, in that <laughs> brain somewhere? It's just sort of floating around. You know, I um, doing Cinema and Spice really started off as dinner parties. Mm -hmm. And in my 20s, it was just something that we did basically every week because I lived with Juliana and my best friend from preschool, Ashley. Love it. And we just had people over all the time. And it was like our sessions to like let out grievances, you know, like a lot of friends worked in the mail room and like had awful bosses and were just getting rained on with like shit storms all day or and like I had I, I worked um for this appliance company and I had this person that I was working with who was just a const she was like a constant state of chaos and I was just always I was like always trying to clean up around this person underneath the person on top of the per you know it's like it was so exhausting, but yeah. also so fascinating to like get to tell people what she was doing and like how she was doing it. And and so we just all got together. It was like every week we would have dinner and we would go to the Daily Pint and like have a have like some beer after. And it was just, you know, it's, I think it's like sort of why people love watching Friends. It's like mm -hmm. it's so comforting to have this group of people that see each other on a regular basis it 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 is like the definition of comfort and then i think as you get older um and you like have partners that you live with instead of roommates and you have kids and you have jobs that you know you're no longer wanting to bitch about you like want to problem solve and then you're like i can't hang out like i have a i have to finish by this deadline or i have you you like get into this phase where the necessity for the dinner party and the like living together, which makes it easy, all starts to crumble. Mm -hmm. And I, I felt that in my, I felt that in myself and I, and I was, and then I was like, you know what, like, I'm going to pick it up. Even the, I'm going to pick it up. I'm going to do friends day, Wednesday. And every single Wednesday, people can sign up. They can come for dinner. If nobody comes fine, if one person comes fine, if six people come fine, and we're just going to like have a nice time chat, make sure that we're like all continually being connected. And it like totally made me feel better, you know, mm. instantly. And and I um was I traveled with some friends to Copenhagen and was like learning about you know Huga or however you want to Huga, yeah, and um, about like the happiness indexes in a lot of those countries and how they eat in rather than eating out and. Mm. Um, how there's like all of this interesting st st statistical evidence um, around the 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 sort of like danger of being lonely and the like toxicity that it has in inside of you. And I was like, you know, a lot of this stuff, like not that a dinner party is going to solve world hunger or like poverty, you know, it's not. But but dinner parties really do act as a problem solver mm -hmm. um for a lot of in the in the dinner party pro in the in the book I, I show like Maslow's hierarchy of needs and um how we have sort of um 
we're, we're like in that like Tim Ferriss four hour work week, you know, we want to like outsmart the system. And there's like only so much outsmarting like the human body that you can do before it starts to freak out. Yeah. And, um, and I think like sitting down with people, having community, feeling safe with people, knowing that there's people that you can turn to having communal dinners, like feeling really fueled, um, knowing that like, your problems are everybody's problems, seeing that people with differing perspectives aren't just like an evil person on the internet, but like your friend. Um, these are just all things that are like really healthy for you and for society. Mm. And I wanted to write a book to help people who felt like they didn't have the skills to feel like this is something that they want to do. Right. No, I absolutely love that. And there's nothing like the different perspectives is what I love, especially a big table, lots of food, family style, even better. And mm -hmm. you're like, oh, what's going on in your world? And you say something, oh, I'm having this issue. And someone's like, have you thought about blah, blah, blah? And you're like, you just solved a problem I've been thinking about for the last six months. Thanks. I love that. And and like, and I also, I also feel like sometimes they're really happy and like sometimes they're really sad. And yeah. that also is like incredibly cathartic. Like, you know, uh, uh, having two miscarriages, like it's amazing. Like everyone's like, oh yeah, like that happened to me. I had five, you know, mm -hmm. I, my sister, whatever, like, oh, actually this person did acupuncture and it was really, yeah. and it, and you just, you like, don't feel so alone anymore. Totally. Absolutely. I love that. Um, what makes, we're going to wrap up just a little bit, but what makes a really, as we're moving into holiday season and you are having people over probably more than you usually would, what makes a killer dinner party? Like what, what are like a few, two, three tips that are just like, got to do it every time? There's like one thing that will kill it or make it great. And that is the host, right? Like, I have some friends who, when you show up, it's like they're almost mad that you arrived, like they're not ready for you. And then it's like chaos, you know, and like they don't want your help and, and they don't want you in the kitchen, but there's like nobody else there. And, and it's just like, you're like, okay, well, these vibrations mm -hmm. are not going to make for a good dinner party. Um, and and you can feel that exact same way and still have a great dinner party if you open the door and you're like, oh, my God, thank God. Everything is on fire. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. Can you come help me? Love you know, it. and you're like, oh, my gosh, how fun. We're going to like either solve this or we're going to get takeout, but we're in it together. And again, you've like created the sense of community. So it's not that like you have to be polished and put together. It's that you, you have to like decide that you're going to give in to what it is. And like, people are going to have a good time and you're going to have a good time. And if you can't do that, then like, that's okay. But every time you have a dinner party, it is specifically to practice that thing. And the thing that I think will help the most is to start off by basically doing no work. Like if you're a dinner party, um, I interviewed someone for the book who has a cheese shop and she called it a pre-party panicker. Nice. If you're a pre-party panicker, <laughs> the best thing you can do is order takeout. Yeah. Like make a salad, make it the night before, leave the dressing on the side put some saran wrap on it in the fridge 
take it out when people arrive, order pizza, like have wine, have people make their own ice cream sundaes. Like the work that you put into a dinner party is not necessarily correlated, sometimes specifically not correlated to the amount of work that you put in beforehand. Mm -hmm. And so I think starting off where you're really, 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 really comfortable and then working your way up is, is the thing that is the most important. Like dinner party meets you where you are. If you meant to make pasta by hand and then your work meeting ran over, people don't need to come in and you're in a panicked state of chaos. Just make it tomorrow and, and order Thai food, you know? Yeah. Um, So I truly think like above all controlling for you and making sure that you're giving yourself an environment where you can be comfortable and thrive is the only thing that you like have to do. Mm -hmm. And I also think if, if like your boss is screaming at you all day and you're like, you know what? I want to do this next week. I just want to get in bed with popcorn that gives your friends the opportunity to be like, okay, well, we're all coming over and we're all going to get in bed and eat popcorn or to be like, yeah, let's do it next week. I'm actually really tired too. Beautiful. And, and I think, you know, it's like everything about life is it's like the more you can just like, kind of like let it happen and Mm -hmm. not be like a stick in the middle of it, the better off you are. Mm -hmm. And like, that's so hard for everyone, Mm -hmm. but like dinner parties are a place where you can actually practice that and and I think like that's number one. And then number two, this is like so lame. And I'm sure a lot of people would disagree. The amount of times I go over to people's houses and there is no water. Yeah. So like halfway through dinner, you're like, I would love to continue this conversation, but I have no more saliva <laughs> left inside of me. <laughs> like have a pitcher of water and refill it when it's empty. Like, you know, people are always scared there's not going to be enough alcohol. There's almost always enough alcohol. It's like, I don't need more alcohol. I am the Sahara Desert. Like, (laughs) give, give, is that a mirage or is that a pitcher of water? Like, give it to me. (laughs) Have water. Uh, I love it. So um, Southern Oregon is where I'm at. Um, I live in wine country and- Mm. A lot of the wineries and even restaurants, our water here in Medford is one of the the top things that I'm most grateful for. Our oh. water is incredible. We have the most tap waters. We oh. have the most amazing tap water ever. And so restaurants and wineries just started buying these beautiful glass bottles and filling them with tap water and putting them in a little fridge. And when you got there, they would put the water on your table or whatever and so I started mimicking that in my house. So for dinner parties, I just take two, three of those bottles and put them on the table. Water is so incredibly important. And if you're a guest and you're dying of thirst, it's such an awkward thing because then you like, water. <laughs> like the most basic, the most basic thing at, at any, like a restaurant or wherever, like prison, like inmates yeah. get water probably more so than, than at most dinner parties. <laughs> I was actually, I was recently dog sitting. My my friends were just like, okay, everyone, I'm 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 a big scaredy cat. And everybody was going to like Halloween horror nights. And I was gonna do it, but I ended up having like a really bad cold. So I stayed home and 
um, our neighbors went with my husband and our dogs are best friends. So they brought their dog over and I was just like hanging out with the dogs and I didn't realize, but like I was accidentally a really bad dog dinner party host because snacks is the name of the dog. He's like looking at me and I'm like, what do you want? Like, what, what could I possibly give you? I've given you pets. I've given you this. I've given you that. And then he like walks into the bathroom mm. and starts lapping from the toilet. And I was like, I did not give these dogs water. <laughs> horrible. Fail. Massive fail. Like, so it's not just for humans, right? It's like, I was like, oh, but I so understand you. Like yeah. I have, I have definitely been like, should I just go to the bathroom and drink out of the sink? You know, <laughs> like. <laughs> <sighs> Oh, yeah. Oh, it's a good one. It's a good one. Water, folks. Simple stuff. It's like, you know, food can be bad. That happens. Yeah. And like, it's funny and it's okay. Yeah. And, and, and it's like, you just, the creature comforts. Like, I always have snacks when people arrive. Yeah. Because if like you're running late or if a friend's running late or if you burn something, like nobody wants, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm, and I come from a line of New York Jews. Like, we're always like, but what if we're hungry? You know, it's like, God forbid we should be hungry for two seconds. Right. We're going to die. So, so it's like, I just like have, I have a snack uh-huh. and that way people can munch and they can control their own hunger. And, you know, and, and everybody feels like you're like, you're not in like fight or flight. Mm-hmm. You're like, Water, alcohol, snacks, like those things. And I feel like you can't lose. You can't lose. You can't lose. Well, Julia Child said, never apologize, never explain. So if the food is total shit, don't apologize for it. Just it's, that's how I meant it to be. I meant it to be that way. You're welcome. <laughs> so <laughs> I sort of differ from her in that I think it's okay if the food is bad. And I also think it's okay to be self-deprecating. Yeah, I do too. I think you could be like, this sucks and I'm so happy you're here. Thank you. Right. No, absolutely. <laughs> or you can be like, you know what? This sucks. I'm going to force myself to eat it tomorrow. I'm getting us pizza. Yeah. I think like the fluidity of of that is also... Uh, and and I, I think if Julia Child was alive today, she would say the same thing. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, you that's that's a that's a time when you weren't allowed to be as honest. Um and and I'm glad that now you can be. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, we're gonna wrap up and get to the final three, but I did find this in an interview you did, and I really love this, uh, about hosting a dinner party. Um, you said if I'm hosting the dinner party, the food is for me. When you have people over, you're really showing you. Majority of inspiration comes from my cookbook collection. I have so many cookbooks that my neighbor actually gets my overflow of cookbooks. <laughs> I love to see what other people are doing and I'll try their version, then write in notes in the book on my changes. I love the idea that when you have a dinner party, the food is, it's, it is for me. It's not, I mean, it's for my guests, sure, but it's really about what do I love? Because then I feel like the food maybe is going to turn out better if I'm cooking what I love for you. Yeah. And it's a dinner party at your house is an expression of you. 1000%. There's obviously exceptions. Like if your friend is like deadly allergic to shellfish, you know, 
don't make clams. But other than that, like I, I think it's like people aren't at your house because they want their most comforting dish. They're at your house because they love you. They want to spend time with you. They want to feel close to you. And a way to do that is to make them something that you love. Mm -hmm. And when you go to their house, they can make you something that they love. Not everything has to be everyone's favorite meal. Um, but if you love it, then your guests will most likely love it. Agreed. Um, my mom and I tend when we have people over, we always make shrimp and grits because it's um, yeah, very super Southern. We have our own takes on it. But to me, especially sharing grits with someone else, well-cooked grits, like my grandma used to make them, is so important because people are like, grits, bleh. I had grits once. They were awful. Do you put sugar? like cream of wheat. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So when I make grits for people, that I, I just love that. I love to see the expression on their face where they're like, I had no idea grits were so delicious. Yeah. I love it. I totally agree. Like sharing. And there's a lot of like Eastern European cuisine that mm -hmm. people are like, borscht? Bleh. But then you make it for them and they're like, holy cow, yeah. this is so freaking good. And I'm like, every Eastern European person knows that, you know, but mm -hmm. there's just like a lot of like, oh, the color, there's meat in the soup. And then you put like sour cream on it. It's like, what the crap is going on? But it, it's just like comfort in a bowl. Yeah. No, I hear you. Um, we're going to wrap up, but I have to say really quickly, you are so fun. Thanks. So are you? I like, I knew this was going to be fun, but this hit a different level of fun. So yeah. I say that to everyone. Um, nope. Sure don't. Go back and listen. Every single one. I don't say that. I say that to a few people, but not everybody. Tosh. Um, <laughs> let's wrap up and get to the final three. Uh, best advice you've ever been given. She's thinking our connection is still good, everybody. She's just Yeah, thinking. yeah, yeah. I think, I think it's... Uh, the best advice that I've been given in a professional sense is focus on the things that only that are very that focus on things that are specific to you and you alone. Mm. That there are every there are like zillions of people that could write cookbooks about whatever or like talk about whatever. And like you have to find the thing that is like uniquely you mm -hmm. and like that is that is where you put your focus. And I think like answering that question, especially in the context of writing a cookbook, being like, why am I writing a book is something that really helped me find something that I felt like I was confident enough and like I could be like legitimately have thought about it enough to feel like I can help people in. Um, and that really gave me the confidence to like find the book inside of me. Love it. I I call that like staying in your lane and and like keeping on your own path, right? And trying to put the blinders on sometimes. And like it doesn't yeah. matter what these people are doing. What is what are you doing? Yeah, I love that. I love that. And then, I, and then like in a non work context, I think like the thing that is the most valuable that I've learned is like truth is only what we know so far. Ooh. Good stuff. You heard it here, folks. I like it. <laughs> um, what's your happy place? Um, my happy place is my dog. Mm -hmm. 
Malone? Malone. Malone! She has a leftover haircut from Halloween. We made her emo, so she has hair over one eye. Yes. Today she's going to get her hairs cut by me. Look at her. What a peach. You got to see the face part, but you can't. Hello! (laughs) She's just the sweetest little creature in the whole world, and she makes me so happy. We don't deserve them, I feel like. I feel like we don't deserve them. Um, I told you before we started the interview, I had surgery about a week and a half ago. And my dogs, like, no. It's crazy. They're, like, giving me space. My big Italian Mastiff just, like, comes over and, like, just very gently sits next to me, puts his head on my lap, like, Mom, are you okay? They know. It's just crazy to me. They know. Yeah. They're just the the best thing in the whole world. They are. Malone. Malone is your happy place. I love that. Such a sweetheart. Good luck with that haircut today. Um, (laughs) And then in all things food and drink, what do you crave? Right now? Just, I mean, what always sounds good? Like you could just always go for fill in the blank. I always, hi. um, I always want pasta. Yeah. In all of its forms, right? It could be like a noodle soup. Uh, it could be like an Italian pasta. It could be like a delicious, like chewy Chinese noodle. Mm. It could be Thai, like just noodles. I feel you. Spaghetti and meatballs always sounds good to me. Uh, always, always. Or like a bolognese. I mean, I just, I'm teaching a cooking class later and it's like a rigatoni. It's from the book. It's like a blistered tomato um, pasta with uh, pesto and burrata. Mm. And I'm really going to like the main thing that like people don't know how to do is like add enough water and enough heat so that your like sauce and your pasta become one. And, and so I'm excited because I feel like every time I teach that right, I've like, I've like, I'm like, I have changed a life. (laughs) I so agree. I feel like that's the number one um, mistake home cooks make when they're making pasta is the pasta water. And it's not like a couple tablespoons. Like I'm adding like half a cup to three fourths of a cup of pasta water. If like you put pasta down and then sauce on top of it. But I mean, what are you doing? What are you doing in life? Like, (laughs) I feel for you. We need to we need to have an intervention of some sort. Yeah. 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 Um, like, oh, you're doing drugs. That's fine. You're putting sauce on top of the pasta. All the ambulance. And I will say pasta water and like butter in some like situations, especially with like a bolognese or something, the butter yeah. and the water and you're cooking it down. It- yeah. And not this much butter. No. This much butter. Well, when is the who does this much butter ever? Like in what? Get out of here. I feel like a lot of people, they're like just and I'm like, sometimes when people when they people come over for dinner and they like see the amount of oil in their food, they're like and I'm like, yeah, that's why it tastes good. (laughs) Trust me, folks. Trust me. Um Nosh with Tosh, uh, cooking show on YouTube. That's where people can subscribe and check out all of it. Subscribe. It's yeah, but it's still. I mean, I love it. I've been catching evergreen. 
Evergreen. That's one of my favorite words, by the way, P.S. We used it in the news biz all the time when a story is just, it's just always timely, very evergreen. So yeah, um, lots of good recipes. Your website is a great place to go for recipes. Um, follow you on Instagram. And I'm just going to say good luck with all the things that are out there in the universe for you. Thank you. I'm so excited. And I'm so excited you said Hi. yes, and you're here. And we had this beautiful chat for the last hour. And you opened so up. You showed me your cute little Jewish heart a little bit. I appreciate it. <laughs> Anytime. Thank you so much. I loved it. Have a wonderful day and good luck. You've been listening to Hungry for More, an Epicurean's Dilemma with me, Trish Gloss. You can watch this podcast and subscribe on my YouTube channel. Just search Hungry for More, an Epicurean's Dilemma. You can also listen and subscribe wherever you like to listen to podcasts.